Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Joe Santana about the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion in the shifting landscape of work over the next decade. Joe Santana, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have a nice conversation with you today. You come to us with a lot of really interesting um, experience and a, and a rich background. We're going to be focusing on the shifting landscape of work over the next decade. And I wanted to zoom in a bit specifically on the role of diversity, equity, and inclusion within that work environment and how we might see this shifting, our, our DEI efforts within organizations shifting over the course of the next decade, and, and the importance of that for individuals and organizations as a whole. As we get started, I wanted to share Joe's bio with everybody. Joe Santana is chairman of the CDO Power Circle and the creator and host of the ERG Power Talk podcast and virtual academy. His programs support diversity, equity, and inclusion leaders within highly respected companies that collectively generate close to three quarters of a trillion U.S. dollars and employ almost one million people. Joe is also an author. He, his upcoming book offers simple understanding of the growing role of automation and AI in decision-making and describes how non-technical leaders must and can provide oversight to ensure a more successful outcome for these technologies. Uh, wonderful background. Thanks again, Joe, for joining me. Before we launch into the conversation, anything else you would like to share with listeners by way of your personal background or context? Yeah, the one thing I would add to that is that prior to entering the DEI role, I actually had a pretty long career as a line executive. I ran a 300-employee outsourcing organization. And so my entry into this space came by way of finding solutions for my own business or for the business unit that I was running within the uh, within the outsourcing space. And so there's that passion there that I've always had for social justice and topics related, but there was also a very practical piece to this. And so a lot of my approaches tend to come from that place of how do we make practical application of all of this and how do we leverage it and leverage it in a way that benefits the individual as well as the organization. Yeah, I love it. And practical application, I think is what it's all about because it's really nice to have these conversations. I love interviewing people on this podcast. It's so much fun. It's good to have the conversation. I'm glad that people tune in and listen and gives you something to think about. But if we never act on these conversations, then what's really changing? I mean, we might change ourselves a little bit, and I hope we do. Um, but the next step then is to get beyond the dialogue and move into action so that we can actually make a difference in the lives of those around us as well. Uh, and 
and I think also just, you know, coming from a, a place of privilege, like I do, I'm a, a middle-aged white straight dude. Um, I, I have a lot of privilege that I need to find ways to leverage to benefit those who are, you know, perhaps don't have that, those same privileges, um, who might be marginalized in some way, who may not be able to speak up for themselves. Uh, and so it's, it's great for me to do the internal work to get more in tune with myself, to check my biases um, and, and whatnot. I, I hope that I'll continue to do that. I hope everyone listening will continue to do that. But we, we got to stand up. We need to speak out. We need to, to support those uh, who are marginalized. We need to help uh, reinvent systems and practices within organizations so that they're more healthy and psychologically safe. And that only happens as we apply all of this and we, we do the hard work that needs to be done in order to make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think as you pointed out, a lot of it is internal hard work and it's, it's hard work for everyone, whether there, whether it's a person who is in the minority or the majority, it is work where we need to look at the scripts and the triggers that we've developed over our lifetime within our various groups that we belong to and look for ways to examine how maybe we can upgrade those in a way that works better within the societies that we now operate within business and increasingly so also within the communities that we live in. Um, as I'm sure that you've seen a lot of statistics out there that show that the world is increasingly becoming more and more diverse by virtue of two very simple things. One is just demographic shifts. And the other is the fact that all of these technologies, like the ones that we're using right now, bring us closer and closer together. Years ago, uh, you and I would not have a heavily diverse team unless we traveled outside of our country or we brought in people from different parts of the world. Today, again, due to demographics and due to the fact that we have these technologies, I don't think there's a manager out there who has a team that's not diverse. Yeah, I, I think we're just in an a, a interconnected, globalized world. Technology enhances that. Um, migration patterns and and just the demographic shifts have have influenced that. Um, no question about it that that uh, we just see more diversity. It's it's more in front of us perhaps than it ever was uh, before in previous generations for the vast majority of people. Um, and so that that creates an environment where we have to choose how we're going to to deal with that. Um, you know, do do we try to figure out how we can work? well together with people from very different backgrounds, different worldviews, different perspectives about a whole range of things? Um, or do we kind of feel like, you know, my way is the right way, everyone else needs to get on board and do it my way? Uh, do we uphold the systems and the structures that were established in previous generations that might have served a purpose for a time, but don't serve us so well anymore, uh, certainly don't, don't create a, a psychologically safe and inclusive environment for everyone from diverse backgrounds. Um, you know, we, we have to ask ourselves these questions and ultimately be willing to, to do that work. So I, I love, I love that framing because we are in a more, um, diverse, uh, world we're interconnected world and, and we have to grapple with the, the, challenges of that, but also, the, of course, the, the many benefits of that for organizations. 
Yeah, and it's increasingly becoming a really powerful business imperative to take action. I was just interviewing a uh, CEO of a major hospital organization, and as we were talking about their organization's focus on diversity and inclusion, one of the things that she said that I thought was really interesting and in a succinct way presented the challenge that all business people or business owners and leaders are going to be facing is she basically said, look, if I look at the population of people that are in this area where I operate in Milwaukee, and I want my hospital to be a top decile provider of service, and I also want it to be a top decile employer that pulls in the best people. If I look at the population of people that are within the community that my hospital is going to be serving and the community from which I'm going to be pulling employees, it is increasingly becoming more diverse. So if I cannot make the adjustments to my organization, to my leadership, to my policies, to be able to effectively pull people in, the best people from that pool that is increasingly becoming the pool of candidates that I'm going to be working with. And if I cannot properly serve this community because I don't understand it or because my systems are not set up to properly serve this community, then I'm not going to be a top decile hospital. Uh, I'm not going to be a top decile employer. So we've gotten to the point now, and I think it was Brookings Institute that said that we've reached, I think it was in 2019, we had reached a point where everybody who was 16 and younger, if you did the demographics of the United States and say you took people that were my age or a little younger than me, you'd see that a high percentage were uh, were white. But if you went to the level of, let's say, 16-year-olds, even 20-year-olds, uh, and, and, and down from that, you would find that the population is becoming increasingly more diverse. And that's the population that organizations are going to have to find candidates from to work in their companies. That's the population that organizations are going to have to sell their services and their products to. And of course, you know, if we add to that the global element and the fact that the world is becoming smaller, we can see that this is no longer something that organizations can sit back and ask themselves, well, do I, do I want to be that kind of nice organization that does all this stuff? But rather, it's becoming more of something where you have to ask yourself, where is my market and where are my candidates going to come from in the next decade? And what do I need to do now? so that I can be in an advantageous position 10 years from now, as, as opposed yeah. to trying to play catch up. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the, the fact is a lot of organizations, probably most organizations are trying to play catch up right um, now in many ways, the pandemic uh, has, has accelerated things. It's forced us to adopt technologies and to pivot in ways um, that probably, you know, we were already moving that direction anyways. And, and it just, sped up the process of us uh, moving into that space. Uh, and I think that there are some some good possibilities for uh, what that means for diversity, equity, and inclusion within organizations. But you talked about the coming decade. Um, in the coming 10 years, not only are we going to see continued disruptive technologies, we're going to see more and more AI and machine learning driven automations that occur. 
um, that has lots of implications for a lot of things throughout organizations, um, but also specifically for DE&I uh, in that space. What, what do you see coming in the next 10 years in terms of what organizations need to be grappling with? We already talked about the demographics and that, you know, the, the, the world's getting smaller. Demographics are continuing to shift. Um, but what do we see with this, just the broader landscape of the workplace in the next 10 years that's going to, you know, determine, you know, what we need to focus on in terms of DE&I stuff? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, I think that you you just touched on it before when you were talking about all the technology and all the AI that's being used. And clearly what happened with the pandemic literally lit a fire under organizations in terms of the adoption of these technologies. And they do have a lot of positive potential. But the caveat is that like any technology, there are also areas that you have to be careful, areas where you have to make sure we don't get to use that old expression too far ahead of our own skis. And right now, in terms of AI, we are in a we are in a state of mind, I would think, as, as, uh, as organizational leaders, as people were years ago when it came to social media. So if you think a couple of years ago, say 15 years back, when social media first started making the scene, everyone was so excited about it. We're going to be able to share pictures. We can share uh, stories with friends that we went to college with and, uh, and relatives that have moved to other states and so forth. And so we all saw that upside, upside, and it was great. What we didn't see was the downside that now, 15 years down the road, we look at this and we say, my God, this might destroy democracy, right? So uh, that was not something that was on anyone's radar. And I think right now with AI, which does have a lot of positive features, there's that same euphoric positive, oh my God, we can look at all these records so quickly. Think about it. An average human recruiter takes about six seconds or so to quickly scan a resume and determine whether they're going to read it any deeper. And AI can do 600 of them in one second. 
That's amazing. And also, even when it comes to things like, for example, AIs are being used today, not only to scan resumes, but they're being used to do things like set salaries for people. Years ago, that was the exercise of going out and looking at occupational handbooks and what are people paid for this particular job? And what about if they're in this particular type of community or in another community? And what are the prices there? We want to make sure that we're fair and we attract the best people, but that we're not overshooting. Well, now an AI could do that instantly. Uh, The problem is that AIs are nothing more than basically the institutionalization in machines of the way we think. And so whatever biases we have, or whatever things are in our blind spots, those things get embedded sometimes in our algorithms. And we may not see them until later on. There was a recent story that I ran across uh, about an organization. They're based out of the UK. Uh, This fellow's office, however, was here in the United States in uh, California. So one morning he shows up to his office and he gets to the door and his key card doesn't work. So he thinks that maybe it's, you know, it's a minor issue. Maybe it got demagnetized. Uh, In any event, security lets him in and he goes up to see his manager. And she promises that she's going to get him a new key card right away. Well, you would think that would be sort of like the end of a little bit of of an inconvenience. It it was actually the beginning of a nightmare. So this guy later on goes to lunch. He can't re-enter his office without colleagues helping him. He later on finds out he can't log into the system. And when one of his colleagues looks at the system uh, on, on the list, it says that he has been deactivated. And later on that afternoon, he gets a call from HR saying that, He's actually been terminated, but they're not sure how he got terminated. So his manager didn't terminate him, and his manager's manager didn't terminate him. So now the the hunt begins to all these increasingly senior executives to figure out what happened here. And ultimately, they they can't figure it out until, unfortunately, two people show up from security to escort him out of the building with all his things because he's been terminated. A few days later, they find out that actually a glitch in the system, in the AI system, started this entire thing. So he was actually between managers. And apparently, uh, because of the way the organization operates, periodically, managers have to uh, indicate that the person is going to continue as an employee of the company. This manager was actually getting promoted into another role. So when they, they handed the reins over to the current manager, they didn't do that task. And so the system automatically issued an email to IT saying, shut him out, issued another email saying, discontinue his security card and sent another. And all of this happened in cascading rapid fashion. And so uh, this fellow actually was terminated and then was in a struggle trying to figure out how they could undo this and get him back into the organization. Now, There are a lot of things like that that happen on a regular basis now, because what's happening again is we bring these systems in, we're looking at the positive, which is, oh, we can do a million transactions instead of one transaction. It's going to lower our cost by X amount, all these different attractive features. But there are all these other interconnected elements 
that we're not looking at. And organizations have also found, as I'm sure that you've seen, that in the area of diversity and inclusion, there have been systems that literally refuse. For example, I think the famous one is Amazon. They put a system online that wouldn't hire women because when it was trained with the historical data, back then they hired primarily men. And those men were the ones that got into leadership positions. And therefore, the algorithm in creating this program determined that, well, only men can succeed uh, within the Amazon community. So I'm going to target only for men. The same thing has happened on the client side in terms of granting uh, loan applications to people or denying loan applications, because sometimes the system of the algorithm will notice that certain zip codes uh, may be associated with certain behavior that may be tangentially connected somehow, but the system determines that it's an important factor. And therefore, everybody who's in that zip code is not going to get a loan. So all of these things that are happening, again, tell us that there is a great opportunity to create systems that are possibly a bit less biased than we humans are, are a little more, uh, uh, they're a little more, or let's say a little less influenced by external noise when it comes to making their decisions, uh, unlike we humans. But we have to proceed with caution. And people who are in the DEI space and other non-technical leaders cannot be bystanders, uh, just basically trusting that the gods in technology are taking care of all this, and this is all going to work without any kind of human intervention. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, the the AI that runs uh, these processes that you were just describing, for most individuals, it's really a black box, right? You don't know what's going on in the algorithm. You just know what the outputs are. And we, we have to look more, we have to look deeper than that. We have to um, do quality control around um, the, the decisions that are made uh, in the processes that are implemented by, by these AI for all the reasons you just shared in those examples, which are horrifying examples. Um, yet it's so easy to see how quickly those types of things could continue to, to disadvantage and hurt uh, individuals, whether it's applicants in a pool of candidates or or employees, existing employees in the company looking for opportunities to be promoted, uh, loan, uh, trying to get a loan, whatever, right? There's there's so many ways that this plays out. And we have laws that that restrict us from making decisions about those sorts of things on the basis of sex, race. Uh, you go down the list of all the, the um, Title VII um, areas that are protected under law, because AI is the black box, we don't necessarily know that that's the factor. Um, and that's a problem because we, we can't allow uh, decisions to be made on those factors that are, are uh, not permissible. Uh, and and can be very damaging, uh, whether it's you know sexual orientation, race, gender, whatever. Uh, we and we need to protect against that. Um, and so, as we move into this next decade with an increasingly interconnected global um, marketplace and companies working globally uh, with shifting demographics, we're going to be interacting more and more with difference. We're going to be interacting more and more with people from different backgrounds than us. We're going to be working and having a diverse workforce. Um, technologies are going to continue to uh, 
come out and be enhanced and, and increase in their capability. You, what you described uh, towards the beginning of our conversation about the social media networks um, and kind of the unintended consequences that we didn't even fully realize until a decade later, that is absolutely something we really need to be thinking about um, from an ethical and moral standpoint, from a DE&I standpoint, uh, so that we can leverage the capacities and capabilities of these technologies without hindering ourselves either currently or in the future in terms of what we're hoping to accomplish through all of our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives and uh, work and efforts. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, uh, of course, in addition to hurting individuals and, and, uh, and creating problems in the DEI space, it hurts organizations too, because if an organization, let's say, for example, uh, let's say does not or is not able to bring in certain candidates because the system is somehow weeding them out, well, let's, you know, simple supply and demand. If you create a constrained supply uh, and your demand is large, then you're going to up your prices. You're going you're going to have to pay a premium to get people to come in. Uh, because you're not going to be able to enjoy the entire pool of available talent that's out there. And the same thing is true in terms of business. If your system sits there and says, well, you know what? Uh, I am not going to extend credit to this particular group, or I'm not going to provide a product uh, feature that's important to this particular group, well, then that's just basically going to decrease the total available market for that particular company. So neither of those things work in the company's favor. So in addition to just being something that we want to do, because it, it, from a humanity standpoint, it's a good thing and the right thing to do. It's also the smart thing to do from a business standpoint. If you want to be able to tap into the largest widest possible pool of talent and you want to be able to grow your business's total available market to its maximum capacity and footprint. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Well, Joe, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. I know we're, we're getting close to the end of our time together and this has been a really great conversation. Uh, before we close, I wanted to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get, how they can get connected with you, find out more about your work, uh, and then give us the final word on the topic for today. Sure. The easiest way to uh, get in touch with me is on my website. It's Joe at Joe Santana. I'm sorry, that's my email. <laughs> it's JoeSantana.com. So it's www at JoeSantana.com. And of course, my email is Joe at JoeSantana.com. And in that website, it talks a little bit about me, but it also has connections to all the different types of groups that I run and the podcast and other things that I am engaged in as well. So, I mean, I think the final word on this particular topic based on where we sit right now is that we need to, and by we, I mean leaders in general, whether they're technical or non-technical leaders in the DEI space or managers in general in all other areas, we need to start viewing AI and and how we work with machines and how we work across these different groups, we need to start thinking about that as being table stakes for success in the future for ourselves and our company. 
because in the future, we're going to find ourselves more and more not only working with people who are not like us uh, and people who maybe don't even don't even live in the same country that we do. There, there are a whole bunch of countries out there recently that have started issuing a thing called the digital visa that allows a person to live uh, somewhere else. And yet through a combination of virtual reality, robotics and uh, other tools that are coming online work in another country. So all of this is going to bring us even more into this uh, this mesh of diversity and more and more technology. And leaders need to very quickly upgrade their skills in those areas uh, as we move into the next decade. I love it. I love it. Thank you, Joe. It has been a real pleasure talking with you. I encourage listeners to reach out, to get connected with Joe, find out more about what he can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.